Every day, thousands of hackers try to steal your crypto. But Arculus uses air-gapped technology by forming a protective barrier that insulates you from hackers and secures your crypto. Order yours at GetArculus.com. You know I'm right. Nick Durst here with Joe Calabrese and Joe. Today we have on someone who calls himself an opinionist and he has a national, well, maybe international show as well. It's on US and Canada daily, Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. Eastern on CBS Sports Radio. His show mixes creative points with sports commentary and way out there callers and an absolutely wild producer as well. He's got a great sense of humor. You see him in all of the NFL top tens. He regularly also appears on LB Network, on LB Now as an analyst, as well as CBS Sports Network, CBS2 in New York, and SNY as well. Yes, you could also uh, remember him doing the CBS Sports Minutes. Uh, we love those. Uh, Mr. Damon Mandelara, welcome to the show. Damon, my first question to you, do Nick and I have permission to board the mothership? Permission granted. Absolutely, guys. Thanks yeah. for having me here. That's awesome. Thanks, Thank DA. You. So we're going to start off with, obviously, the DA nickname. How did that come about? We know it. We know it's your initials, but when did you first get that, that nickname? Well, when I was, my first job out of college was Fort Myers, Florida, at a little station called Sports Radio 70, 770. And from there... I sent out my resume reel to Kansas City because they had a brand new sports station that was starting up and I was applying for the night show there. So I sent my demo reel. They listened to it. They liked it. They said, come here for a visit. I visited there and they said, look, we'd like to hire you. But the only thing is Amendolara might be a little hard for people to pronounce, especially in the Midwest. They're not used to those <laughs> types of ethnic, ethnic last names. So my last name's Italian. So I said, well, what, what are you thinking? And they're like, well, how about just Damon Amen? And I'm like, well, if you just wrote A-M-E-N, I think it might look like Damon Amen, which makes me sound like a cartoon character. So I said, maybe there's something else. And in the demo reel that I sent them, somebody had tossed to me, my, the producer there had tossed to me and called me DA. And they said, how about that? They called you DA down there. And I said, yeah, that works. They said, well, why don't we just call it the DA show? I said, that's fine by me. And so it was kind of inadvertent. It was kind of just, I stepped into it. And then suddenly from that point on, that was 2003, 17 years later, I don't know if anybody even knows my last name at this point. <laughs> yeah. And we got to talk about the only memorable CBS Sports Minute that comes to mind, which is your CBS Sports Minute on the Hulkster, Hulk Hogan. Yeah. And got a lot of backlash there <laughs> from Mr. Mike Francesa, who you, of course, interviewed as a high school student. So what was that like for you to be in a, a mini feud with him? Well, it was really bizarre and kind of an alternate reality because, you know, I'd grown up in the New York area. So I'd listened to Mike and the Mad Dog as a kid. And there's that clip that I had posted from high school where my high school um, TV class had gone into WFAN and interviewed specifically my group. We had kind of pestered WFAN to go in and interview some of the guys there and and Mike was one of those guys. And I, and I posted that video on YouTube. So I had had this early run in with Mike and I was hosting a show on CBS sports radio and it was the middle of the summer and I was filling in for the Doug Gottlieb show at the time. And Doug was responsible for two or three sports minutes a day. And I was co-hosting that day with Bart Scott. Now, anybody that knows Bart, he is uh, really energetic. He's a mile a minute, easily distracted. And so I'm just trying to kind of rein him in for the four hour radio show that we're doing. And on the side during the show, I've got to write and record these minutes. It's the middle of July, nothing's going on. And that was the day that Hulk Hogan had a, a video that had surface with him doing kind of a racist rant. So I said, well, this is kind of sports. I don't know what else I'm gonna write about in the middle of July. And I've also got to wrangle Bart Scott for four hours. You know, let me just pound this one out, type it up and record it. It airs. I had kind of called out, you know, Hulk Hogan for being un-American, even though he wants to be a real American hero, et cetera. And my Twitter just starts blowing up and I'm watching Twitter as I'm hosting the show and Mike's killing you, DA. Mike hates your sports minute, DA. You're getting roasted, DA. And I'm thinking like, where is this happening? I'm on the air right now with Bart Scott. What, what is going on? And I put two and two together. 
ended up that Mike Francesa had that sports minute aired during his show. He always didn't like the sports minutes anyway that anybody had because it was somebody else's voice and his airwaves during his time slot and just took me to task and said, you know, you've been in the, you've been in the business 15 minutes, use your real name. Nobody knows who you are using your initials. Wrestling's not a sport. I don't want to hear about Hulk Hogan on and on and on it went. And I, I'm in the middle of the show, so I, I can't even really respond because I don't really know what Mike said. So as the day wears on, I find out exactly what he said. After the show is over, I hear what he said. And I'm like, this is crazy. Like Mike is trashing me on the airways for doing a tongue in cheek sports minute about <laughs> wrestling. This is insane. And because Mike took me to task, there were so many of my colleagues that wanted to defend me. And so whether it was Doug Gottlieb, John Kincaid, or, or the rest of the guys on the on the, the the airwaves for CBS Sports Radio, everybody wanted to take a shot at Mike. So they all started doing it in honor of me, which I think they really just wanted to vent about Mike and I was the excuse. So I got caught in this, this war that I didn't even have any doing besides, you know, doing the sports minute. And, uh, you know, eventually I kind of had to respond and I tried to respond a little tongue in cheek as well. And I don't think that went over well. And so Mike and I were in the middle of a feud. I tried to smooth it over. I don't think it went great. Mike didn't really want to hear it. You know, he was relatively diplomatic that it was more about just wrestling and not me personally. But I mean, he knew who I was because I worked in his office for, you know, right down the the door from him, right down the, uh, the hallway for three years at that point or whatever. So he knew who I was. So that was kind of an unfair shot, but... Look, I always say it's one of the best things that ever happened to me because when you Google my name, that's one of the first things that comes up. So I'll take it. Yeah, we've had a couple of people on recently and it seems like there's sort of a rite of passage there to uh, encounter Mike in such a way like that. Yeah. Uh, almost like a, a real, real true intro into the business. Uh, so we're going to wind the clocks back. You were a Syracuse grad. You graduated Syracuse 2001. Uh, graduated broadcast journalism. Uh, there are a bunch of Syracuse grads all over the, the sports media world. Uh, you talk, talked about uh, before uh, something regarding a mouth. Uh, Adam Shine, obviously, being one of the very first guys that comes to mind. Obviously, he's a motor mouth, and he's always getting in 100 words a second. Uh, so who are some other notable Syracuse grads that you got to uh, – be there with uh, Syracuse grads in the business that you still talk to today. And what were your favorite experiences there? Well, Syracuse really helped shape me because it was so competitive. And uh, I had looked for a communication school when I was coming out of high school. I knew that I wanted to do sports media. I didn't really know where I fit in, whether it was play-by-play or whether it was television anchoring or whether it was sports talk. Really, sports talk was not on my radar much, but I just knew that I wanted to be in front of a microphone and, and talk about sports for a living. And so I was really passionate about it. I looked at a lot of schools and Syracuse ended up checking a lot of boxes, um, had a really good program, had really good alumni. And uh, it was relatively close to where I grew up. It was about a three and a half hour drive. So I just felt like, you know, this is a place that I could succeed. When I got there, one of the biggest kind of uh, frying pans to the face was, wow, everybody is as experienced as I was. And I had felt like I did a lot in, in high school. I had called high school basketball and football and soccer games for my uh, cable access channel on television, doing a lot of high school broadcasting. As I had mentioned before, my high school television class, I had kind of pestered WFAN to let me go interview them, but I'd also done interviews with other, um, you know, um, teams and players. And so I felt like I was really ambitious and, and accomplished coming out of high school. When I got to Syracuse, everybody was exactly or more accomplished than I was coming out of high school. And so it really threw cold water on me and said, you got to be better. You know, you just you, you think that you've done this, but you have not done anything yet. And so Adam Sean was two years older than I was. Uh, Corey Probus, who's the voice of the Minnesota Twins and does Big Ten Network broadcasting, was one year older than I was. My same class was Andrew Catalan, who calls the NFL on CBS, Carter Blackburn, who does college uh, football and basketball for CBS Sports Network. These were all the people I was around. And so I had to elevate my ability and I had to work harder and study more and be more on point. And that made me 
so much better than had I gone to some place and kind of rested on my laurels that I had done all this stuff in high school, but ultimately it wasn't pushing me to be any better. So my favorite experience is the bond that I had with a lot of those guys that I had just mentioned by going on road trips to call games, working at the student radio station together. That bond was so intense because we were all trying to accomplish something and build our careers while also being friends. And I consider Carter Blackburn, Andrew Catalan, and a number of the other guys that I graduated with, some of my best friends in the world. And um, it was through that bond, through those experiences. And it was really tough. You know, it was really tough at times to know that, man, as good as you are, how are you going to get that much better? How can you be there? And you look at the lineage of guys, broadcasters, men and women that came before us. You're talking about Mike Tirico and Ian Eagle and Marv Albert and Bob Costas and Dick Stockton. And you're just going, you know, I can't get Sean McDonough. How do I get to that level? Those guys seem at a level totally different than, than I'm at. So those bonds, those friendships mean quite a bit to me. And uh, I think it's because we all pushed each other collectively to be our very best. So obviously you're able to, you know, put together some great reels or, or demos or whatnot. You're able to come out of college, you go down to Florida, get your first on-air job. What was that whole process like for you, you know, coming out of college? Uh, obviously not, not everybody gets, a, you know, their, their job or dream job right away, but you're able to, after a short period of time, make the move down to Florida. You mentioned it earlier and get that first job in radio. Yeah, it was a tough process because I graduated in May of 2001 and I didn't start sending out uh, demo reels right away. I waited through the summer because frankly, after everything that I had kind of done at Syracuse, I had worked in um, the sports radio station on uh, the student radio station and become sports director there. And so I'd invested so much uh, energy into that for those years. I had interned at multiple television stations every summer in between and some fall semesters up there um, that I was kind of burned out. And I said, I just need a break right now. And so I took the summer off and I started sending out tapes in September, September, October, November, December, January, February. I was living at home sending out tapes and it was really tough because I wasn't getting a job and a lot of my friends were look, living at home after you graduated from college and you're out on your own is really difficult. I'm like, I got to get out of mom and dad's house. This is driving me up a wall. I just cannot be under the same roof as my parents anymore. So that opportunity in Fort Myers, Florida came along kind of um, out of nowhere. Uh, somebody that I'd worked for. Hear that? That's the sound of someone trying to steal your crypto. Every day, thousands of hackers online are doing the same. That's why Arculus uses air-gapped cold storage technology to protect your assets. Using our keycard and wallet app to form a protective barrier, Arculus insulates you from hackers and puts control of your digital assets back in your hands. Order the first truly air-gapped crypto wallet at GetArculus.com. Or in Rochester, I was also working part-time in Rochester, New York, which is about an hour and 15 away from Syracuse had moved down to Fort Myers. We had done broadcasts together in Rochester. I was a pre and post game host of a soccer uh, show up there, uh, which was surrounded uh, an A-League soccer team, which is the USL now kind of a, a step under um, MLS. So he was like, hey, we have this arena football team contract called the Florida Firecats. This was not arena football one, this was arena football two. So the minor league of arena football. He said, we've got the contract. We broadcast the games. We need a pre and post game host. I know you've done that for me in the past. Would you come down here for that? He goes, we can only give you about 10 hours a week. I was so desperate at that point in time because I had been home for about eight or nine months and I hadn't gotten a job yet. I said, that's it. I'll take it. I'll go work at the mall at Foot Locker for the other 30 hours a week. I just got to make ends meet. I've got to get on the air. So I packed up uh, my 1995 Chevy Lumina. And uh, I waved goodbye to mom and dad and said, hey, I don't know how long I'm going to have this job. It's only a seasonal job. So I might be back in a few months after the Arena Football League season is over, but I'm going to try it. And frankly, I didn't know how it would go, but I knew that I had a chance to get on the air in a professional capacity and get more demo tape. And I went down there and um, as fate would have it, it was a really small radio station. They needed somebody to do a little bit of everything. And I was a cheap, young, hired hand. And I ended up being a pre and post game host for arena football, an update anchor, a producer, a board op, 
an assistant program director, production assistant, and staffer. I was staffing everybody as well. I did that all for the uh, cool price of $18,000 a year. So at the time, it was a huge undertaking for me to try to do all that, but it was also a no-brainer because I just had to work. I, I felt it deep within me that if I wasn't working, I wasn't worth much. And, uh, and that was something that was instilled in me by my grandma and my parents. You know, you got no excuse not to work. So finally being productive in the industry was the best thing ever for me, even if it meant I was working, you know, 14 hour days for 18,000 bucks. So after that, you do the natural progression, which a lot of radio hosts do is you just keep jumping up market sizes. So walk us through, you know, the process here and what it was like the next eight years where you, you go to Kansas city, you go, then you go to Miami and then you end up in Boston. And what was it like being on the air in Boston as a New Yorker? And did you get any backlash a lot from the callers on that? Yeah, the, you know, once I got that first job in, in Fort Myers, things started to roll for me. It was so hard to get that first job. But when I was down in Fort Myers, they liked what I did. And so ultimately, after a year there, they gave me my own show. I had filled in for hosts that were on vacation. I did a Monday night football show. And finally, they said, OK, you're ready for a full time slot. So I had a full time show Monday through Friday for two hours, four to six p.m. in the afternoon. So it was afternoon drive. That got me to Kansas City doing the night show in Kansas City. When I was in KC, they liked what I did at night. They promoted me to the morning show. I did morning drive for three years. That helped propel me to Miami, where I was the night show in Miami. That helped get me the Boston job. I was the night show in Boston. That helped get me to CBS Sports Radio, where I was the overnight show. And then along the way, I've progressed up the food chain there to get to the morning, the morning show. And, and every place that I've ever been, I always said, just get me in the door and I'll prove myself. I don't care what I'm doing when I first get there. I just want a shot at it. And I'll put my show up against anybody's show. I'll put my work ethic against anybody else's work ethic. Just give me a shot. And so it's been an attitude that's been paid, that's paid off for me. The Boston thing was tough at times because they're very resistant to outsiders, especially New Yorkers. On top of it, I was coming from Miami. So some people thought I was from Florida and there was no respect for a Florida sports fan. So uh, it was a double whammy, but I said, just let's just give this a shot. Let's just see if this works here. And I think because I'm self-deprecating, I don't take myself too seriously. I do my homework. And because I really care about every minute of every show, I don't believe in wasted segments. I don't believe in small talk. I don't believe in just wasting time to get to the next segment. I think people in Boston respected that. And the more that I was there, the longer I was there, the more that they embraced me. And um, it was really rewarding because it's a really tough challenge. I mean, going to Boston from outside of the market and it working is not easy. And so that gave me some, some real cred in the industry that, hey, if he could do it in Boston, then, you know, you must have something there. And, uh, and that was really rewarding to be able to experience that. So when you were in Boston, did you ever attempt a fake Boston accent? Because you're an Italian guy from New York. We all sound the same. We all have the same inflections when we say stuff. It's coffee, not coffee. It's Boston. You pack the car, right? So did you have to get used to that a little bit? Like, did people ever get on your case about that? Uh, I've tried a bad Boston accent, but I never tried to do it for real. But you know, if you're like, dude, Brady's going to kill the Texans this weekend. It's going to be like 42 to zero, dude. You know, you, you, they're going to kill him. You can, you can get by good enough. Uh, you know, you fake it till you make it, but it never sounded that authentic. Right. Moving, moving on to the CBS sports radio days, you get the call going to come pack up, come back home, start working national here. What was that like for you getting, getting the opportunity to move back home? Um, and then also, you know, you're going national. So I want to know, was it a major uh, difference for you here to, to go from a local show where, you know, you're watching the Red Sox, Bruins, uh, Celtics and, and Patriots every game to now you're, you're doing national and I'm guessing you got to do a lot more NCAA and it's, it's probably a little harder to, to keep up with everything. Yeah. It's a totally different skill set because local, I always say, if you're doing local radio, you need to know a lot about a little, there's four teams in Boston and Miami. There was like two teams that mattered, the heat and the dolphins. 
in Kansas City, there were only two teams, the Chiefs and the Royals, although Kansas basketball was a big deal. Missouri football was a big deal. But you, you need to know a lot about that very finite amount of teams. Nationally, you need to know a little bit about a lot. You have to know a little bit about every team across all scopes. But national fits me better because I'm a more curious guy than local sometimes allowed me to be. I would want to do college football segments in Boston and nobody cared. I would want to do creative segments or talk about different topics and it didn't fit into the local you know, um, storylines. And so that didn't really necessarily always work. And I kind of felt like, you know, I was doing a five hour show in Boston. It's like, boy, for day number 16 in a row, for hour number five in a row, we're talking about whether the Patriots need to draft a cornerback. And it was like, that's kind of slamming a mallet over your head every single day. When I do national, every single show is different. Every single topic is different. Every day will be different. And I love that. And so I was, I think, wired to do this on a national level more than maybe some others would. But the funny thing was when I got the job or I got the offer from CBS Sports Radio and it was to do overnights, I was so excited the day that I got this call. I, I remember I was, uh, at the, uh, I was at the doctor's and I was just getting a routine checkup and uh, I, I had to take the call because I saw it was a, a New York phone number and I knew that I, you know, I was up for this job. And I said, I got to take this call. And I, I walked outside and they offered me the overnight show and I immediately took it. And I, I didn't care what slot it was. I just wanted to, to get back home to New York and to be national as well was such a huge deal. And so I finished up the, the physical and then I was done and I called every one of my family members and nobody picked up. Nobody. It all went to voicemail. I texted everybody. Nobody responded. And I'm like, I've got this huge news. I've got nobody to share it with. And finally, 20 minutes later, my dad called and I told him and, and he was really excited. But the thing was, you know, in this industry, you make lots of sacrifices. You know, once I left home in 2002, I didn't know when I was going to be back home to be around my family. So I went from Florida to Kansas City, back to Florida, up to Boston. And I missed birthdays. I missed holidays. I missed time with my family. I missed, you know, moments with my friends because I just couldn't be around. And you work weekends and you work holidays and you work nights and, you know, you just miss a lot. And uh, I missed a lot for 10 years. And I just said, if I ever got a shot to go back home, I would have to take it. And this one was a no brainer, but it was so rewarding for me to have put in the time for 10 years to be away from home, which I loved every second of it, but it was time to come home and be close to my family and be where I grew up. And, uh, you know, for that to be, to come with also a dream job, even if it was overnights, was like a, wow, this is unbelievable that this all came to fruition. You know, at, at some point it was almost like, this is a little too good to be true. So Nick started touching on the differences between local regional programming and national program. Uh, what I wanted to ask you, uh, we've had people on before who have been in your similar spot doing overnight shows, then they did the morning shows. Uh, I think there's a lot of prep, uh, different types of prep that come with that. Uh, so talk about your routine. So when you do the morning shows, obviously you must wake up very, very early. Uh, we know people who wake up three, four in the morning to do that. Uh, doing an overnight show, I think is very, very different than doing a morning show. Uh, morning shows, you're probably just trying to get the, the, the audience engaged as much as you can. Night show, you're coming right off, watching everything, you're going right into it. Uh, so what do you think are the main differences between the two and how'd you prep for both of them, you know, throughout your career? Yeah. The, the night show was a lot about reacting to what was happening or instant reaction um, because the games had just finished up. So you were kind of like the first word, the morning show was more of, to me, a bit of a tapestry of entertainment, waking people up, getting them caught up to date on what happened and giving them a bit of an agenda, you know, giving them a, when I say an agenda, I don't mean telling them what to think, but you're kind of setting the day's sports headlines in some type of kind of priority. So you're like, if you're talking about this, this must be a big story. This must have happened overnight. And I, I like that because it's, it's a way to inform people that are just waking up and getting ready for their day. And morning radio is also really important to a lot of people because it's part of their daily routine. This is what they do. They get their cup of coffee, they get in their car, they drive to work and they listen to sports radio or they get ready in the shower and they have sports radio on or whatnot. And, and I, 
I take that responsibility very seriously. And so doing a morning show to me has to be very quick moving, has to be pretty consistent in your setting the stories consistently for people that are just waking up. And I think you also want to have a certain tenor that's having fun, lighthearted. People don't want to wake up and hear people screaming. And I don't think people want to be smashed over the head with hot takes in the morning either. So I think you have to be very sensitive to those types of things, which is a little different than obviously you're doing any other time slot where you might be able to kind of like punch a little bit harder at things. Um, don't get me wrong. We argue on my show. I like it to be kind of a dysfunctional family. I like the idea that people can yell at one another or take shots at one another. You know, that's how, kind of how I grew up. Everybody making fun of one another. Your friends bust your chops, you bust their chops. I, I always thought that was a good, um, you know, dynamic to have, but I do make sure that we don't get too hot takey because who wants When it comes to delivering customer support, there are some things you don't want teams to hear. Intercom's streamlined support platform clears up space for more organized workflows and peace of mind. Our business messenger uses chatbots, shared inboxes, apps, and more. Who doesn't like the sound of that? Intercom. Less of this. And more of this. To learn more, go to intercom.com slash support. Get running this fall at Dunkin' with $2 medium iced coffees from 2 to 6 p.m. Try any of Dunkin's delicious iced coffee, like their signature original blend. Or treat yourself to mocha, caramel, or the fall favorite, pumpkin. Always freshly brewed, made just the way you like it. Make time for happy hour and enjoy a $2 medium iced coffee from 2 to 6 p.m. Washington, D.C. runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Limited time offer. Exclusions apply to set their alarm at 6 a.m., wake up, and then just, you know, hear somebody beating them over the head about whether the Cowboys need to fire Mike McCarthy or not. Let me know if this surprises you at all. When I was an intern at WFAN in 2012, the only time I had to do grunt work was on a Monday night where your producer, Sean, made me go get him Chipotle. That does not surprise me because... Uh, Mraz has been defined by his appetite and uh, motivated by his appetite for many, many years. Although I will say he always said he did, he always treated the, the interns really well. So I'm surprised to hear this. Tell me more about this. I mean, were, did he take you away from editing audio? Were you doing something else? Did you have nothing left on your plate to do? What, what I, I think I just got in. Uh, I was going to work the, the six to midnight shift, which is typically Monday night football because I was there in the fall and a little Steve Summers. So basically, we was cutting tape for Monday Night Football with the Westwood One broadcast. Plus, maybe if there was like a Devils or a Nets game on doing that, maybe there was an Yankee game on. I can't remember. And he came in. He's like, I just like maybe like 630. He said, uh, hey, uh, I hate to do this, but there's nobody here. So I got to send you. Uh, go get me a, a burrito, extra meat, double the meat, uh, get some chips. It's, uh, it's down the block. And that, that was it. I had guys like boomer and carton buying me breakfast and i'm buying this guy dinner <laughs> so i know you're not lying because that is his order he is a huge chipotle fan he has famously said if chipotle didn't exist he would die without those burritos he does do double meat he does do the chips did he make you buy it or did you take he, his credit card he gave me like a 20 dollars bill i think and then i went and bought it for him okay so he paid did for they it but... buy yourself a, a burrito he did he did not he did not because if you send somebody to go get your food, you should at least buy them their meal. He did <laughs> not splurge. Well, did not I, splurge. I, all, all I could say is I did not get a free dinner out of it. How does that make you feel? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe a little hungry. <laughs> did, did you resent Mraz for this at the time? I, I really think that was the only time I worked with him. The only shift too. So. Um, but then, you know, late, when he started working with you, I saw the character he was. I, you know, I saw he was eating. He thought he could beat Joey Chestnut in a hot dog eating competition. So it all kind of made sense. And no what resentment. Year was what year was this? 2012, the fall of 2012. So this is before he was on the DA show. This is before right. I, I had joined there in January of 2013. So he yes. was just, he was a part time WFAN producer. Correct. So he's throwing his weight around, literally. Literally. <laughs> and he's a nobody. He does. 
And I didn't know who he was. So I was like, maybe this guy's important. I have no clue. So I just, I went, went with it. And yeah, I think uh, Mr. Met just sat there and shook his head. Bob Huesler shook his head in disgust? <laughs> I, I think so. Well, let me tell you, I'm so glad into this podcast and the Zoom with you guys, because now I have content for my show. For- <laughs> so thank you for sharing this story. This He'll never hear the end of this. So thank you very much for sharing that. Much appreciated. Thank you very much for coming on doing this with us. We really, really appreciate it. We're going to start to wrap up. Uh, since we're on the topic of food, I want to ask this quick before we let you go. You are a great Italian-American and a great New Yorker. Give us your favorite Italian dish. Give us your favorite place in the New York area where to get food. Okay. Um, I like being called a great Italian-American. I, I've never been called that before, so that's a first. Um, let's see. Well, I love um, crab sauce. And I don't know if you've ever had this. This is a unique dish that not every Italian, because I love seafood, but my mom will put blue claw crabs in a sauce, like a, a red sauce yeah. and, uh, and put either cavatelli or uh, spaghetti underneath it. And it is just, it has this kind of like sweet seafood, um, you know, taste with, with the pasta. And it just, I, I could eat it for days and I get real messy and I have the sauce all over my fingers and I just have it all wiped all over my face. And I really like to get into it, you know? really like to get into it. So that's probably my favorite dish that I really only have at home when my mom makes it. Um, my favorite Italian meal in the city. Nothing's um, as good as a home cooked meal though, DA. That's yeah. why, that's why Christmas Eve is by far the best, the best holiday. Not even close. You're so, talking to two guys who love crabs, who love lobsters, who love- Oh, really? Sandwich. Okay, so I've got an audience here that you guys know what I'm we're talking about. We're from Staten Island, New York. We know all about it. Okay, this is excellent. Um, also, the crabs in Baltimore are amazing if you like crabs. I've gone down there a couple of times over the last few years. My wife and I will go down during the summer and just go to one of those places near the water and they just give you all you can eat crabs and you just have a mallet and you smash them all night long. And there's nothing better than having a giant pitcher of beer a mess of crabs and like a, a roll of uh, paper towels so that you don't even have napkins. You're just like wadding up paper towels and, and just, you know, dabbing your face with them. I mean, I come out of there, my mouth is numb because there's been so much like crustacean and like <laughs> spice and seasoning up and just, you can kill me after that meal. It is just amazing. How many lobster rolls and New England clam chatters did you have in your time in Boston? My thing was I was trying a lobster roll at every single place that I could. And I found a little place um, called Bell Island Seafood that made the best lobster roll that I had found up there. So I would go there and it was like 25 minutes outside of the city, but I had to go there constantly. But now my wife's family is up in Narragansett, Rhode Island. So we go up there and I get Rhode Island clam chowder and uh, lobster rolls very often to the point where I probably have some type of iodine poisoning because I eat so much seafood up there. But it's worth it. I mean, is there anything better? Also fried scallops? Oh, just the best. Yeah. Yes. Uh, the, the whole seafood thing with Nick and I, uh, you, you picked the right guy to, to nice. collaborate on this with. Very good. Nice. We're going to let you go. Uh, thank you for doing this with us. I would really, really hope to have you on again. What we do with our guests, for our listeners, we always give you guys the last words. If there's anything you would like to share, if there's anything you would like to promote, go ahead. The floor is all yours. Thank you again for coming on with us. Uh, we hope you have a very happy, healthy New Year, a safe New Year. I hope you and your family and your, your close ones and your friends uh, stay safe with everything going on in the world. Uh, go ahead, Damon. Thank you for coming on again. No, my pleasure. Very kind of you to say that. Um, the final word is that you can listen to my show, even if it's not on in your local area, you can stream the show on your phone using the CBS Sports app or the radio.com app. You can watch the show as well at watchda.com or on Twitch if you're on Twitch at the CBS Sports Radio feed there. So uh, a lot of easy ways to listen to the podcast. Just search the DA show. But good news for you. I got another 10 minutes or so for if you guys want to keep going. Yeah, let's let's keep pushing through here. I want, to, I want to get your, uh, your Mount Rushmore of CBS Sports Radio personalities mm. since the inception here in 2013. Now, it doesn't mean they're the best. Could be just like somebody who's crazy, like throw on the bench or Brian Jones. Uh, of course, we know Giannotti has come across uh, over to WFAN. So 
interested to see where the who the Mount Rushmore is of personalities. I love this question. Um, the George Washington of this is Jim Rome. Rome is one of the greatest ever to do it. He's a Radio Hall of Famer. He basically invented doing national radio and being kind of a solo host that commanded an audience nationally, knew a little bit about everything. There's a lot of local guys that started things. Mike and the Mad Dog were pioneers. In terms of national, Jim Rome's in there. Scott Farrell is as well. You mentioned Farrell on the bench. Farrell's raspy voice, shake it up, is just such a unique caricature and I just love him. I mean, his show was so fast moving, was so hyper, was so crazy. It was all about gambling all the time. I just was like, this is, this is great. This just, it's a great listen. So Pharrell would be in there as well. Um, I mean, we just had Brian Jones on my show yesterday. He, he might have to be on this Mount Rushmore as well because he would just say anything yeah. at any time. We, we had I worked with him when I freelanced a couple of years ago at CBS Sports. Every time we were in the bullpen, he would just come in, coming right off the set, and he would blurt out the first thing that came to his mind. And it doesn't matter. And he uses very, very colorful language, very colorful <laughs> language. But he's the kind of person who's just so off the cuff. He says the first thing that comes to your mind. Some of the things that come out of his mouth, you're like, somebody's actually thinking about this? Yeah. That's just the kind of person he is. I know. We had Jones on the show yesterday and he's, I said, well, it feels like, you know, Nick Saban can, can coach for another five years or so. He's like, yeah, you know, Nick Saban, he's, he's working out. He's, he's staying thin. He's, he's in good shape. You know, a uh, source of mine says he could uh, retire after the season, but you know, I think they still got a lot of, uh, a lot of football left. And I went back and said, wait, let's go back to that. Did you say that Nick Saban could retire after the season? Yeah, you know, I got this source. He said that, uh, you know, Nick, he can see Nick Saban stepping away. You know, this guy's a good source too. He told me that Sarkees was taking over the, the Texas Longhorns. And I'm like, so you're just going to drop that in the middle of conversation that Nick freaking <laughs> could retire and you're one of the voices of the SEC on CBS? That's a big deal, Brian. But that's the type of guy that he is. So I love him and I think he would be on there too. And I think I put Tiki as my fourth because Tiki Barber wow. has been there since the inception. He's been there. TBD in the morning. You, yes. yes, exactly right. He was on the morning show. They moved to the mid mornings. Then they moved to the afternoons with, uh, with Brandon Tierney. And Tiki does an amazing thing. As a former athlete, he's a great broadcaster as well as being a guy that's been in the locker room. And that's a really hard business. That's a really hard balance to strike. So I think Tiki, and, and also Tiki, people might think he's got this ego. He's a former New York athlete. You know, he's, he's a handsome guy, et cetera. Couldn't be more down to earth. The moment that we walked in the door as the overnight show, you could have imagined if he just ignored us. Nicest guy, you know? And, and I, I always really took that to heart that a guy like Tiki Barber that I always loved watching, you know, play football would be that kind yeah. to us and myself. That really meant a lot. Yeah, in 2012, he introduced himself to me. He's like, I know who you are. You know what he's saying? He's oh, saying, I'm Tiki Barber. That's the type of guy he is. What was it like having Taz in the building for a little bit? It was awesome. He was all energy all the time. You know, he brought uh, kind of the wrestling sensibilities. And so I think sports radio can benefit from that, the showmanship um, of wrestling. And I think that's one thing that I like our show that brings to the table is that if you don't take yourself so seriously and you understand the show of it, then you can do some fun things. You can do some outlandish things. And, you know, it's there as entertainment first and foremost. And Taz understood that. He understands that really well. So I think he was always a real benefit to have around the office. Yeah, we had, a, we had a Kenny Albert on our show, and his roommate, of course, was Rich Ackerman in, high, in, uh, in college. Yeah. And I don't know how much you, know, you see of Rich in, in the newsroom, but this guy, he was ready for coronavirus the last uh, 12 years because he comes in, he wipes everything down, and I think it's just genius. So what do you think about Ackerman, who physically, you don't look like, he doesn't look like he's somebody who would be uh, so sanitary, and, and you know, behind the scenes, he's... He's extremely sanitary. Yeah, no, Rich is, uh, Ack is, he is definitely a germaphobe. He likes to wipe everything down. He likes to make sure everything is clean. He likes to make sure everything is in place. He has the exact number of ice cubes in his cup, the exact number of sodas ready for the day. So I appreciate that type of level of, 
of uh, attention to detail. I find it interesting that you say physically, he doesn't look like he would be somebody that cared so much. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, every time I, every time I saw him, he would just be like, he's obviously, he's always wearing a sweatshirt and sweatpants. And even look at his, look at his Twitter picture. He's got, a, he's got his feet up on his desk. If you put your feet in the desk, to me, that's like somebody doesn't really care about germs. Cause I would never do that. I, taking the subway or something, coming, putting my feet on my desk and then working there, eating a sandwich. To me, that's just a little uh, not. Yeah, not, I don't think I was on the desk where I was eating a sandwich either. But you saw him wear sweatpants. I've never seen him wear sweatpants. That's oh, that's he'd wear like those shirt. track pants, like you know, like the the blue joggers. Oh, the track pants. Yeah, no, that is true. He has worn track pants. That's. <laughs> I'm kind of envisioning like the uh, tapered bottom, elastic uh, bottom sweatpants. But no, that's true. He definitely wears track pants. Yeah, he's definitely very meticulous and uh, definitely a trailblazer ahead of his time now with everything going on. Uh, I also wanted to ask you about your time with Doug Gottlieb because I remember when he, his show was on, uh, you filled in quite a lot for him. Uh, so what was that like for you? And uh, what is the, the main differences uh, between doing the radio stuff and doing the TV stuff? Well, what's, what's nice is that on TV, it's mainly just carrying the radio broadcast. So you don't have to worry too much about the television. The, the producers on the television side of the editors and the graphics people usually do a lot of that. The difference is before the show, the prep for them is, is very significant and you have to make sure you're leading them in that direction. So in other words, if you're talking about, let's say the Chiefs and Browns coming up this weekend, in the middle of Chiefs and Browns, you can't just pivot to James Harden. You have to make sure they know you're going to pivot because they have to have that graphics package ready. They have to have the B-roll ready, which is the footage that you will see over that take. So you're supposed to make sure they know the roadmap of where you're going. I work like that anyway. I like to know where I'm going so I can plot my thoughts and organize where I want the show to go. A lot of hosts don't want to do that. A lot of hosts just want to fly by the seat of their pants and whatever they feel like saying, they want to go and do that topic because they're passionate about it at that moment. I'm not like that. So I always found it very easy to work with TV, but there is a lot of prep work that goes in before you do the simulcast. Doug is a really interesting guy and, and I got to know him and I consider him a friend. Doug is a guy that I, sometimes I don't know if he really is that convicted about some takes because some takes are so off the wall. And, and I really admire sometimes a guy that has an off the wall take, but is totally committed to it. 100% and you would not know that he's not real there. And so I, I always thought that his takes were true and authentic, but some were so crazy that I said, how could anybody be this passionate about this angle? But I think that makes him a really compelling listen. That's why I think he has had success everybody, everywhere that he's gone. Some people can't stand him. Some people have criticized him. He's been certainly had his fair share of, of people that have ripped him. But what you can't ignore is that his opinions, they're really interesting because again, they could be very unique in coming out of left field. And there is a talent there and there is a skill set there that you cannot ignore. If you just have the same take as everybody all the time, nobody cares. So you have to be able to do something that's a little off the wall, a little different to stand out. And I think he does that really well. All right. Now, last question. Yeah, since, we're, we're talking, since, we're, since we're talking TV here, and I mentioned at the top, how did those opportunities come to you about doing NFL Network, MLB Network, SNY? And did you ever think that you'd be doing television or did you always think, I'm just going to do radio and we'll see what happens. I've always really liked TV because I like the visual medium. I think when you're talking through the radio, it's a really intimate conversation with your listener, which I love, but they can't see you. And so if I roll my eyes or I throw out my hands or I you know, do something physically, it doesn't resonate. And I love the fact that a visual medium does that. So if I wear a costume, if I put up a prop, those are all things that only work in a visual medium. So I've always wanted to work in television more and to use that side of my personality as well. The NFL films thing is interesting and it is a lesson in say yes to everything. Because when I was a young um, student journalist, as I said, I was doing radio in school, but I felt like I needed a television background as well through internships. And so I did an internship at News 12 in Yonkers. And so it was News 12 Westchester. And I would basically go in there over the course of my summers between sophomore and junior and junior and senior, I think were the two summers I did it there. 
And I helped out of the sports department. I, I would help write script. I would help edit audio. I'd help edit video. I would help, um, you know, just kind of assist in everything all behind the scenes. The weekend anchor there was Greg Frith. And so I was helping him primarily because he was the next guy in line, you know, above me, him, a producer, myself, and then the, the regular host, the everyday host Monday through Friday was above him. So I would help out Greg quite a bit. After I graduated college, I moved on to Fort Myers in Kansas City and then over to Miami. And I was in Miami and Greg emailed me somewhat out of the blue and said, I work for NFL Films now. We're starting a new series called Top 10. And we're doing an episode about the greatest chokes in NFL history. And the Lynn Elliott game is on this list. Now, Lynn Elliott was a kicker for the Chiefs, who in 1995 missed three field goals in a 10-9-7 loss. The, the Chiefs lost by two points, and he had missed three field goals in this game. And they were the number one seed. So a, they lost a uh, Jim Harbaugh's Colts team that year. He said, we don't have anybody to talk about this game. We know you weren't in Kansas City during this season, but could you talk about it? I said, yeah, I just spent five years in Kansas City. They talk about the Linnelia game all the time. Yeah, I know what happened. Sure, I could talk about it. Now, I didn't know what that would lead to. I just said, this is an opportunity. I always said yes to everything that might come down the pike. And so I said, yes, they liked what I did there just in that one spot and one episode of the entire season. And they brought me back the next year. And they were like, well, let's ask you a few more things about other you know, Chiefs games. Now you're in Miami, so maybe a few Dolphins questions. And that just grew and grew and grew. And they really liked me. And uh, the producers appreciated my sound bites and they wanted a little levity to it. And I always kind of had a little bit of a, a tongue in cheek answer to some of the stuff. And it just continued to grow. And so that's how that whole thing happened. And it's amazing how it unfolded. But it is, again, what I said before, just get me in the door and I'll take my chances. That's all I ever wanted. And if I wasn't good enough, I wasn't good enough. That's fine. But I just wanted a chance. And the same thing has happened with MLB Network and SNY and things. You know, I've knocked on the door and said, hey, can I just do anything? Can I help? Can you put me on this on Christmas Eve? That's fine. I'll do it. And hope that, you know, my research and my ability and my talent would then say, yeah, it's worth bringing him back. So I've always approached the career that way. And that's how those things happen. And I love it because there's just, there's a, there's a different set of things you can do in a visual medium that I can't do on radio. Yeah. So Nick and I have worked in Secaucus, both of us, and uh, we both know what that is all about. So yeah, uh, definitely understand where you're coming from there. Uh, I think the single best and most often piece of advice that our guests give us on the show is always to say yes to everything. Uh, it, it, we've heard it now. I honestly sincerely think for about the 15th time already. Uh, so, so what I'm saying is not unique at all. It's not all. No, that. It's not. But uh, what I wanted to ask you is, and again, we know your time is very valuable. So now we will really, really start to wrap up. Uh, but got experience bouncing around to different places. Obviously you said yes to a bunch of things throughout the course of your entire career. Uh, is there any other singular piece of advice maybe that your mother told you, maybe that your father told you, maybe that somebody very close professionally has told you that has really stood out to you, uh, that has really meant something to you that was different than any other piece of advice that you've ever been given by anybody else that has really, really worked for you that you could also share uh, and can personally attest to that works? Well, it goes along the line of say yes to everything, but it's a little bit of a different thing. And it's, there's no job that's beneath you. You know, I think some people come out of college, go start interviewing for jobs or start sending out tapes and they say, well, I'm not going to take that job because I'm better than that job. And, you know, I came out of Syracuse from one of the most renowned journalism schools. And I was the sports director at the sports radio station there. And I sent a tape to Cedar Bluffs and they said, no. And it's a big lesson. You're not better than Cedar Bluffs. They, even they don't want you. So I always kept in mind, there is not a job that you are better than. And whatever job you have, you better work your ass off at it because there's somebody else that wants that job. And if you don't do your best, you're quickly pushed out. So I have always approached every job I've ever had as this is the most important job I can have because I'm no better than this job. So that's an important thing to remember. I, I think there's a lot of ego and there's a lot of hurt feelings in sports talk. 
in sports media. People feel like they've been passed over. People feel like they're better than where they are. And, um, you know, you're only as good as the job that you have and you better take that job super seriously. So that's an attitude thing. I think the second thing also that I would say is that being a good teammate is really important. You know, people hang around this industry and they outkick their coverage of their talent because people want to be teammates with that person. They might not be great on the air. They might not be great looking. They might not be this or that, but they're valuable because they're great teammates. If you ask them to do something, they're going to do it to the best of their ability. And I've always stressed this to my crew. I'll be the best teammate that I can be. And I expect you to do the same thing. If you need something from me, I got your back. If you need me to go to management, I will do that for you. If you need me to make a phone call for you, if you need me to help you on a resume, if you need some advice here, I will do that. In, you know, in response, I expect the same thing out of you. I expect you to care about this show every day. I expect you to have a good attitude every day. I expect you, if I need something, to be there to do it. And if you do that, look, there's three or four people in my career over the course of nearly 20 years that I know if I started a radio station or got a new job or what have you, started a new project, I could call them. And if they took the job, I would have no doubt they would do it to the best of their ability and they would outkick their coverage and they would be a great teammate. And I'll, I know those right off the top of my head, boom, 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 boom. That's very valuable. People in decision-making situations care about that. And so being a good teammate to me says everything about, you know, how really good sports talk works. And uh, it's something that I always keep in mind as well. Certainly great advice and a great way to end the show. So that's going to do it here for this episode of You Know I'm Right. So far, very special guest, DA, from my co-host, JC. I'm ND, and this has been YKIR. To show you how easy it is to file a claim with GEICO, we hired a scary movie victim. Oh no, a tree fell on my car, and there's only one thing to do. Trip over my own feet and pull myself across the lawn while yelling help at a barely audible volume. Help. Uh, sorry to interrupt, but you filed a claim with GEICO, so you've got a designated claims team to help you. This GEICO sounds suspiciously reassuring. Are you sure I don't end up getting surprised with an unexpected twist? Just that your GEICO team will always be there to keep you updated. No! What is it? Oh, nothing. I just didn't see that coming. GEICO. Great service without all the drama.